Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. in South Valley. How are you guys doing today? All right. I love that. I love that. So today is the final, the final installment of our series, What Do You Know About Grace? We've been doing this for six weeks. I hope you've been encouraged through the series. I know that I've been encouraged through the series. We've studied a diverse group of people. Jesus interacts with all kinds of people from all kinds of different backgrounds, which is encouraging because when I look around the room this morning, I see all kinds of people. But we all have one, one thing in common this morning, right? His name is Jesus Christ. He's the one we have in common. Now, we're going to jump into this in just a moment, but I wanted to do something really quick. One is, I wanted you guys to know, Pastor Seth, it's his 29th birthday today. Let's give it up for Pastor Seth. If you guys see him, Seth, I know you're in here somewhere. I would sing to you, but that you wouldn't be happy after that, okay? So we'll just say happy birthday. If you see him, wish him a happy birthday. The other thing I wanted you to know, Jim V. Hill, he has been the chairman on our board for a while now. He's about to move to Texas. He's in our service with us right now. Uh, Jim, will you stand up? Can you guys help me thank Jim for all his years of serving in this church, him and Robin and just their love for this church. We're going to miss you, Jim. We really are. So, so he's moving on to Texas, uh, and uh, we're, we're definitely going to miss him. Um, today we're going to be in our final installment of What Do You Know About Grace? I hope you've been inspired and, and just in awe of Jesus' love, Jesus' amazing grace, his ability to, to transform lives. One thing that we're learning over and over again is, is, is what John said in John 1. He said, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon Grace, that's the kind of Savior we worship, a Savior who is full of grace. And so I'm going to recap what we've studied so far. The first week we, we were reminded that Jesus' grace heals. His grace heals. We, we explored the story of a, a paralyzed man. This paralyzed man had some remarkable friends. Their friends dug through the roof, lowered the friend down in, at Jesus' feet, interrupted Jesus' sermon. Jesus was not upset. Jesus was grateful for their faith. He healed the man. He said, take up your bed and walk. He said, your sins are forgiven you because Jesus' grace heals. The next week we learned that Jesus' grace saves. And in this story, we, we, were, we, were, we, we learned about this, this woman who, who was a prostitute. She was a sinful woman. She was despised by her community, especially by the religious people in her community, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders. Well, she crashed a party, a party she was not invited to. She knew Jesus was there. 
She goes before Jesus, falls at his feet. She, starts, she has an emotional breakdown at Jesus' feet, and she's pouring out what, what Martin Luther called heart water all over his feet, wiping his feet with her hair. And what Jesus says to this woman is, your, your sins are forgiven. Jesus sees this woman and he sees her tears, and her tears are sacred to him. And so the Pharisee is left unforgiven, unjustified, while the woman is left forgiven. The next week we learned about the Samaritan woman in a sermon titled, Grace Satisfies. The Samaritan woman came to the well at the middle of the day in, in search of water, but Jesus knew that she was there in the middle of the day because she was actually searching for something else. She was searching for love. And Jesus interacted with this woman and he obliterated cultural barriers but not, by not only ministering to a woman and therefore elevating women in society, but also by loving on an ethnic group deemed totally off limits to Jews, therefore condemning racism. Jesus was breaking cultural barriers. And this woman who came thirsty, she left satisfied in Jesus because she was fill, filled with the Holy Spirit. Week four, we learned that grace delivers. We studied the, the demoniac. This man was more monster than human. He had a legion of demons. He was cutting himself. He was hiding out among the graveyard. He, he was rejected by his community. Jesus saw this man and he saw a potential disciple. We learned that dark powers must bow to Jesus. And so Jesus delivered this man from darkness and sent him back out as a missionary. Week five, we learned that grace transforms. This was just last week where Jesus met a real-life Grinch, a little man with an even smaller heart. No one believed he could change. But what's impossible with man is possible with God. And so the hardened thief went from ripping others off to becoming radically generous, being transformed. Finally, our last sermon in this series is titled Grace sanctifies. Please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27. I'm going to pray and we'll jump in. Father God, I thank you for this church. We need your Holy Spirit, God. We need your Spirit to awaken us to, to you, to awaken us to truth, to break down the, the walls and the barriers that we placed in our lives that, that hold us back from you. I just pray, God, that today that you would invade every crevice of who we are, that you would sanctify us, that you would take the dark things in us and, and purify them and, and turn them around for your good. I pray, God, that people would receive you and interact with you in new and fresh ways today because of this passage. We love you and we praise you and pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Today's sermon is titled Grace sanctifies. Now, as I was thinking about this sermon this week, I, I, I was thinking a lot about this word sanctify. Do you guys ever use the word sanctify uh, in your life, like on a regular basis? Okay, sanctify is one of those Bible land words, right? It's one of those words that we use only at church. I've never heard someone pray that, that Jesus would sanctify their cat, okay? Um, it just sounds odd, and it's probably because cat, cats can't be sanctified. Only dogs can, right? Only... <laughs> Only dogs can. Uh, I, yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> sanctify. Now, the word sanctify, it's a really important word in Christianity because it's something that the Holy Spirit does when, when a person believes in Jesus. Okay, God the Spirit, when you receive Jesus, God the Holy Spirit 
resides in you and it invades your life and he begins to sanctify you. And it's progressive. He sanctifies you when he comes into your heart and life and then he progressively sanctifies you until the day you finally meet Jesus. So what does this word mean? Sanctify means to make holy. That's what God does. When you receive Jesus, you receive his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit comes into your soul and he begins to sanctify you, to make you more and more like Jesus. This is a progressive work that takes a lifetime of of sanctification, but God takes every crevice of who you are and he repurposes it for his good. And so today, as we talk about this passage, I want you to think through what it would look like for Jesus to sanctify every area of your life. What would it look like if Jesus invaded every area of your life? Your school, your work, your thoughts, your personal life, your public life, every part of who you are. What if you actually gave every part of who you are over to Jesus and the Holy Spirit invaded all of that, what kind of person would you become? Jesus wants to sanctify you. Now, I was thinking about this this week. I was was at my house rowing on the driveway. Okay, so I have a rower. Any of you guys like to row? Maybe if you do do CrossFit, you might have a Concept 2 rower. I just got a Nordic track rower. Hanging out on the driveway. My kids are scooting around. I'm I'm meditating on this passage, and it it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I I just realized something that this series has been been teaching me and, and hopefully teaching all of us, and it's this. When Jesus sees us, He sees not who we are, but who we can become. Not who we are, but who we can become. And that's exactly what's happening in our passage this morning. Let's go ahead and read it. Luke 5, starting in verse 27. This is what it says. It says, After this, Jesus went out, and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose And he followed him. Now, today's passage is a famous one because Jesus, in this passage, he's taking a crooked tax collector who's great at recording meticulous notes. Okay, tax collectors, they're they're good at details. He's great at meticulous notes. And he takes this tax collector and he transforms him into a famous gospel writer. That's what's happening in our passage today. Now, last week, we learned that being a tax collector was a very lucrative uh, profession, but it was also very despised. Okay, tax collectors, uh, they were hardened thieves. And Jewish tax collectors, they were especially despised because they were deemed as traitors to to their own people. They were collecting taxes from their people and giving it back to Rome. And Rome, if you guys remember from last week, had a very intense tax structure. There were poll taxes Income taxes, import taxes, road taxes, harbor taxes, fish taxes, ground taxes, cart taxes, the list goes on. If you were breathing in Rome, you were taxed. They taxed you far more than we're taxed today as Americans. And as tax collectors in Rome, what would happen is you had a certain quota that you would collect for Rome, and then anything you could collect beyond that went into your own pocket. And so this is why tax collectors were despised. Because tax collectors in Jesus' day were extortioners. They'd shake you down. They were like the the, 
an ancient mafia. They'd shake you down, take your money, give some of it to Rome, and then take the rest back to their house and build this lavish lifestyle. They were extortioners, people despised, tax collectors. We learned that last week when we talked about Zacchaeus. But here's what's crazy about this passage. For some reason, Jesus saw Levi and he thought, wow, that's the perfect man for me. That's the perfect man to become one of my disciples and to help me write one of the books of the New Testament. Do you know who Levi is? Levi is the disciple Matthew. When you open up the New Testament, there are four Gospels. What's the first Gospel? Matthew. Levi the tax collector is none other than Matthew the Gospel writer. Jesus saw this tax collector, this guy everybody despised, And he said, wow, this guy is perfect for me. This is exactly what I need. And so he gives Levi an invitation, two words, an invitation he gives to every human being. It's this, follow me. That's it. He looks at Levi. He knows Levi. He knows the kind of life Levi's lived. He knows the way that Levi's ripped people off. And he sees him and he says, wow, this guy has something to offer for the kingdom. And so he looks Levi in the eye and he says two words, follow me. Follow me is the invitation that Jesus extends to every human being on the planet. It doesn't matter what your life looked like in the past. It doesn't matter what your life may look like today in the present. Jesus sees all of your good, he sees all of your bad, and he says, wow, you're exactly what I'm looking for. You're exactly what I need. Jesus invites Levi to follow him. Jesus invites you to follow him. Now, why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus invite a tax collector? Why would Jesus invite me or you or anybody to follow him? How, how can, what could Jesus possibly see? Well, well, what we see in this passage is that Jesus sees your true potential. He sees your true potential. He looks at you and he sees not who you are today, but who you could become if you were to follow him. He sees you today, and he sees not who you are today, but what he can make of you if his Holy Spirit were to reside in you and take take over every crevice of your life and sanctify you. Jesus sees you, and he sees what you can become. Now, there's two kinds of potential that Jesus sees in us. The first kind of potential is misused potential. Misused potential. Levi had a lot of misused potential. Potential. Okay, so our misused potential is is the good in us that we are using for bad. That's what it is. All of us have good in us skills and abilities that at times we use for bad. Jesus saw Levi and he thought, man, Levi, you're way better than this. I know that you think that your skills are only here to, to make you filthy rich. I think you think that's all you can do with your life. That's all your skills can be used for. But I can show you a far richer life than what money can buy. I can sanctify your potential. That's what Jesus does. 
Jesus sees our misused potential and he says, follow me and I'll, I'll, I'll turn you into something you never even dreamed of. It makes me think, so as a, as a Christian, I get to see people sanctified all the time. I get to see people from all different walks of life come and meet Jesus and then, and then take a turn in their lives to, toward a totally different different path and, and new, new uh, just projection in life. And, and one person I think about is my son's jujitsu coach. His name is Frank. So this is my son, Johnny, right here. Johnny boy. This is his jujitsu coach, Frank. Frank, for a number of years, as he was growing up, he was somebody, so he, he loves to fight. Maybe you guys like to fight uh, or you've liked to fight in the past. Frank liked to use his fists. That was something he liked to do. The problem, though, was that Frank used his fists in a lot of ways that ended up hurting him in his life, okay? So he went to the military. He got in a little bit of trouble when he was in the military. Uh, After he got out of the military, he got in more trouble. He ended up doing a little bit of jail time because his fists would get him in trouble. Then he encountered Jesus Christ. And when he encountered Jesus Christ, not only did he face his demons and finally, you know, acknowledge who he was and acknowledge that he needed to change, but then he, he felt this desire to use his past for good. And so he went and he rolled in, in college. Then he went to Pepperdine University, got a master's degree in business, and then he started a jiu-jitsu gym and built this whole business around using your fists, except that he was teaching people now how to protect and respect others instead of how to hurt them. And so Frank, this amazing man, now he's, he's investing in people. At every class, he has packed out classes. He's an amazing coach. Every class, adults or kids, at the end of the class, he prays for his students. Okay? He's been sanctified. He had potential that he was using in, 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 in bad ways. Jesus said, hey, I'm not going to just get rid of your desire for fighting and combat. I'm actually going to sanctify it. And I'm going to turn it in to something else. Okay, is there any misused potential in your life today? Is there any misused potential in you? Maybe you're smart, but your smarts, you're using them for all the wrong reasons. Maybe today you're great at leading, but you're leading people in the wrong direction. Or maybe you're really good with your words, but your words tear others down instead of building others up. Or maybe you're great at business. Instead of giving back and investing in lives, you just take and take and take and hoard and hoard and hoard. Jesus sees you and he says, hey, I see even the dark parts of you, your misused potential, and I want to sanctify it. Come and follow me and I'll turn you into a, a new person in a different direction. He sees your misused potential, but he also sees, number two, he sees your unused potential. Your unused potential is the untapped potential that you have no no idea exists in your life. When when Jesus was interacting with Levi, who later became Matthew, the name Matthew means gift of God. Okay, no one would have seen Levi and called him a gift of God. Okay, you've never seen an IRS person be like, you are such an amazing gift to me. I just love you. Okay, no one would have called Levi gift of God. But Jesus did. Jesus saw this man, and even though he was crooked, even though he was ripping people off, he said, hey, you know what? I got a new, I got a new path for you, a better path for you. I, have, I see potential in you that no one else can see. And he renamed Levi Matthew, meaning gift of God. That's because the Lord sees not who we are now, but who we can become. 
makes me think of a really amazing football player, and some of you might disagree. His name is Tom Brady. Any Tom Brady fans here this morning? Any Tom Brady haters in the room this morning? Okay. Anybody just say, I don't care about football at all? Okay, well, I, I, I actually like this guy. Okay, Tom Brady. Now, you guys might see like a guy that you despise or he's just this pasty guy that's kind of slouched over. You know what I see in this picture? I see a goat, all right? This is the goat. Now, what's crazy about Tom Brady? What's crazy about Tom Brady? This is his, this is his draft picture from, from 2000. When people saw Tom Brady back in 2000, I guarantee you, I could guarantee you, no one saw this guy and thought, man, this is going to be the greatest quarterback of all time. No one saw this man and thought that he would take them to 10 Super Bowls and win seven championships. Nobody saw that. Nobody saw Tom Brady's full potential. But this man ended up becoming and is still playing one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. He had potential that no one ever could have ever seen, no matter how hard they looked. Maybe today, you look like an undrafted Tom Brady. It's all right. We all start somewhere. (laughs) Although others can't see past the slouched posture and blank stare, Jesus sees a future champion. Jesus sees what you can really become. He sees your misused potential. He sees your unused potential. And he wants to sanctify every part of your life for his good. Well, how then did Levi respond? Look at what it says. It says, leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. That's how Levi responded. Repentance. I love this picture because repentance isn't just leaving your sin behind. It's, 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 for, it's abandoning, abandoning, abandoning your sin completely. It's not just leaving it behind for a moment. It's, it's leaving it in the dust. Okay, this is a remarkable story because for Levi, there was no going back to being a tax collector. Earlier in this chapter, if you were to read Luke chapter 5, earlier in the chapter, Jesus called a man named Peter. You guys know Peter. The man who denied Jesus three times. Well, Peter was a fisherman, but Jesus saw this fisherman. He saw greater potential in Peter's life. And so he invited this fisherman named Peter to become a fisher of men. So Peter left his nets and he followed Jesus. But here's the thing with Levi. With Peter, if it didn't work out, if Jesus didn't work out for him, then Peter could always go back to fishing. He'd grab his nets, get a boat, go back to doing what he did. But Levi is different because Levi, the moment he left the tax booth, there was no going back. For Levi, this was an irreversible decision. And so Levi's faith is the perfect picture of repentance because repentance isn't just sort of leaving your sin behind. It's totally leaving your sin behind. It's it's saying, I'm never, ever going back. And what I want you to see as the story unfolds is that repentance isn't always this somber and sad thing. Levi was there collecting money. He saw Jesus. He got an invitation to follow him. And instead of just crying or breaking down or being sad and somber or or feeling heavy, you know what he did? He responded by throwing a huge party. Okay, what, what do we read in Scripture happens when somebody receives Jesus? What happens in heaven? Heaven rejoices. 
They celebrate in heaven. Repentance isn't always this sad and somber event. Because when somebody repents, they're receiving something better than their sin. They're receiving the Holy Spirit. They're receiving the Savior, Jesus Christ. And so so he leaves his tax booth not sad, not with his head down, not depressed. He leaves excited, and he decides to throw a huge party. Look at verse 529. It says, And Levi made Jesus a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. That's how, Jesus, that's how Levi responded. Now, throughout this series, we've learned over and over that when Jesus saves a person, he then sends a person. Okay, the Samaritan woman was sent back to her people to share Jesus. The demon-possessed man was sent back to his ten cities to show that he'd been delivered and to help deliver others. Well, Levi, when he was saved and he decided to follow Jesus, he was sent back to his co-workers, to his friends, to reach them for Jesus. And, and there's a really important word in this passage. It's a Greek word. It's the, the, the Greek term oikos. Oikos. Now, oikos does not mean yogurt, okay? Oikos doesn't mean yogurt, but it is a really important word in the New Testament. It means house, household, or extended household. Okay, when the New Testament talks about your oikos, it talks about everybody connected to you. Okay, when I, when I look at you, I don't just see you, I see everybody connected to you. Each one of you, you have 8 to 15 people who are around you on a regular basis. We all have, we, our life branches off in all these different directions. We have access to people that others don't have access to. God has supernaturally placed people in our life for a reason. That's our oikos. So oikos in the New Testament, it referred to people connected through common ties and tasks. Well, in the New Testament, the church grew as the gospel spread from oikos to oikos. Think about the Samaritan woman. Jesus didn't just save the Samaritan woman that day. He saved many Samaritans through her oikos. You think about the man who was delivered that was possessed by demons. Jesus didn't just go to that town and save one man. He sent the man back and and reached ten cities through that man's Oikos. In the New Testament, the church grew as the gospel spread from oikos to oikos. Your oikos is the web of social connections that God has supernaturally, strategically placed in your life. That web of connections includes your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, your family, your schoolmates. And your oikos, that web of connections, if you've ever wondered, where should I start with my ministry? Okay, I'm saved. Jesus is sanctifying me. I'm a new creation. Where does God want me to begin working for him, living for him? Where should I start? What I want you to see here is this. Your oikos is your God-ordained mission field. You don't have to look for a mission field. God has already created it for you. If you've ever wondered who you are called to reach, all you have to do is open your eyes and see the people standing right in front of you. People at your school, people at your work, your family members, people in your neighborhood, people at the gym you, you go to on a regular basis. Wherever what, The people that God has put in front of you are the people he intends to use you to reach. And you are his plan A for reaching those people. And guess what? There's no plan B. Jesus wants you and me to reach our 
oikos. And so Levi, he's reaching out to his oikos, the people around him. He's so excited about Jesus, he invites them to come and meet Jesus personally. Well, on the surface, this sounds like an amazing ministry moment. But it was actually a huge controversy. Look at how the Pharisees respond. And the Pharisees and their scribes, they grumbled. They, they complained. This, this word in the Greek is automatopoeia. You guys remember those, word, those words? They're, they're words that sound like the sound that they make. Okay, they're grumbling. This word sounds like, like grr, grr, just gargling, okay? They're grumbling at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. You would think that the religious people would be excited to see a tax collector excited about God. But instead of being excited for this tax collector, they grumble about this tax collector. Okay, this goes back to week one in our sermon series where we learned that there are always three kinds of people in the room. There are the skeptics, there are the seekers, and there are the sold out ones. Well, the skeptics in this passage, they could not believe that Jesus would attend a party with tax collectors. How dare you associate yourself with such sinners? They were shocked. Like, Jesus, there's plenty of good Jews to to, to call to your ministry and to minister to and to, to eat dinner with around a dinner table. Why in the world would you interact with tax collectors and sinners? How dare you associate yourself with such dirty people? Well, what the skeptics didn't realize is that what Jesus was doing in this passage is what they should have been doing all along. You see, the Pharisees should have been around those dinner tables. The Pharisees should have invited tax collectors in. The Pharisees shouldn't have been so ashamed of the sinful woman or the Samaritan. The the Pharisees were the religious leaders. They were the religious elite. They were the ones who should have been in these houses, interacting with these folks, breaking bread at their tables. But here's the thing. Pharisees wouldn't evangelize because Pharisees thought they were better than everyone else. They were self-righteous. Religious people sometimes think that they are better than everybody else, and since they're so much better, no one is worthy of being in their presence because they are high, they're up here, and everybody else is down there. Well, Jesus flipped that kind of thinking upside down. Jesus mingled with sinners. And when Jesus mingled with sinners, when Jesus mingled with dirty people, guess what? Their dirtiness, their sin didn't rub off on him. His cleanness, his love rubbed off on them. That's what Jesus wants to do with you. Jesus wants to use you to impact your oikos. The people around you who don't know him. Just like this guy Levi. Levi's leaving everything behind. He's following Jesus. The first thing he does, he's so excited, he invites his friends to go and meet Jesus. And Jesus' goodness, Jesus' love rubs off on them. Their uncleanness doesn't rub off on him. So, So, Jesus is different because Jesus is willing to go where no one else will go. He's willing to associate with sinners while others would reject sinners and stay as far away from sinners as possible. And one thing we need to hear today that we need to know and and, and just have the freedom of knowing is this. Associating does not equal condoning. 
Associating doesn't equal condoning. You see, in in Jesus' ministry, he never once condoned sin, right? Jesus never once let somebody off the hook for sin. He acknowledged their sin. He would say, go and sin no more. Okay, Jesus' ministry was come as you are, but don't leave as you are. Associating doesn't equal condoning. Jesus associated with a lot of people that no one else would associate with because they thought if I were to hang out with these people or talk to these people or have them in my home or get to know them, then others might think that I'm condoning their lifestyle. And Jesus says, who cares what others think? Who cares what they think? You know why I'm associating with the lost? Do you know why I'm associating with the broken? Do you know why I'm eating with those who no one else will eat with? Because I am a physician and I have a cure. And who needs the cure? What kind of people need the cure? The sick people need the cure. And so Jesus has a cure. Jesus in this passage, he compares his ministry to to the work of a doctor. Doctors help the sick. That's what doctors do. This last week, my son was really sick, uh, and it just wasn't going away. He had a fever and a rash and a cough, and it was just getting worse and worse. I finally ended up calling the doctor's office, got him in front of a doctor, because I, I just was getting a little worried about him. But everything's fine now. But, but could you imagine if I called the doctor and I, and I said, hey, I need you to see my son. He's really sick. I don't know what's going on. And they said to me, you know what? Unfortunately, we don't see sick patients. We only see healthy patients. Okay, what kind of doctor is that? That's not a doctor. We've seen a ton of uh, amazing people through this pandemic, our first responders, our nurses, who are willing to go into places where no one else would go to help those struggling from COVID. Can we give it up for them really quick, right? We, we owe them. We should honor them. They did this because they signed up to help the sick. That's why they did it. They would risk their life in a COVID unit, an ICU unit, minister at helping people who are, who are deathly ill because they signed up not for their own well-being, they signed up for our well-being to help others who need that help. Jesus has a cure. And if you're a believer, you're a disciple, you're being sanctified by him, guess what? He's given you the cure. And so he invites you like a doctor to go and interact with the sick. Too many Christians refuse to help sick patients. We have the cure, but instead of sharing it with the world, we keep it to ourselves. Jesus says, hey, I see your potential. I see that unused potential in you, that those parts of you that no one else can even see in you. You have amazing qualities to be used for the mission of God. I want to come into your life, sanctify you, give you the Holy Spirit, and use you for my glory and, bring, and, and, and give you the cure and help you bring that cure to your oikos, the people around you, and watch the world transform. Other, for others in the room, Jesus sees your misused potential. He says, hey, I've given you all those skills I've given you all that talent and you're using it for this? I've given you all those smarts and you're using it for that? Like, what a waste. I gave you that not so that you could squander it on things that don't matter. I gave you that so that you could make an eternal impact. You and I have one shot at this life. And one day we will all die. 
and we will stand before our creator. And on that day, if, if you're saved, you're gonna be welcomed into heaven. You're gonna be so grateful and you're gonna rejoice. You're gonna be clothed in white. But guess what? At that moment, the moment you're in heaven, there's no going back to reach those people that were lost. There's no going back to knocking on that neighbor's door. It's, it's done. And everything we do in this life is gonna be measured by this, this one thing. Jesus gave us a great commission. Go out and make disciples of what? All nations. You and I have a mission from Jesus. He's given you talents. He's given you skills. He's given you a life. He's given you a community. He's given you everything you need. And he wants to, he wants to use your potential for him. Jesus looks at you and he says, man, you're exactly what I'm looking for. You got exactly what I need. I'm, I, I want to sanctify you, set you apart, and use you for a very, very special mission. So in closing, I want to give you a few ways to get started on your mission. The first, learning from Levi, is to list out your oikos. When, when Levi was saved, he already knew right away his oikos, who he was inviting to, to, to share Jesus with. Well, who's your oikos? Who, who is God supernaturally and strategically placed in your life? I wanna encourage you, South Valley, to take time this week to prayerfully and thoughtfully write down some names of people in your life who you need to share the cure of Jesus with. Consider the different lives that you touch on a weekly basis, people at home, at the gym, your workplace, your favorite restaurant, your child's sporting events. Okay, God supernaturally, strategically place these people in your life, write down their names. The second step you can take is to pray for them every day. Now you might notice when I think about evangelism, this is where evangelism starts. Evangelism starts with listing out your, your mission field. The next step is praying for your mission field. Okay, you don't have to be a super Saiyan Christian to do these two things. You don't have to be a rock star believer to list out names and pray for those names every day. Everybody can do these two steps. The third step is once you know who they are and you're investing or you're, you're praying, you're listing, is that you begin to invest in those relationships, looking for opportunities to go deeper in those relationships, praying for open doors to, to open up your home and open up your life, to start conversations about the cure, conversations about Jesus, making space for those people. And finally, the fourth step is to invite them to faith environments. This is how the church grew. The New Testament church, there were 120 believers after Jesus' ascension. A few years later, there are millions of believers. You know how the church exploded? Through this. People listed out their oikos, their mission field. They prayed for their mission field. They invested in their mission field. They invited their mission field to faith environments. Coming up here, we're gonna have our Christmas series. We're gonna do our candlelight service. By the way, candlelight's gonna be back this year. We're excited for that. Um, we're working on a float, by the way, so we're gonna go and we're gonna advertise our float at the Lemoore uh, Parade, Christmas Parade. We just, I just learned that you guys do that, okay? I just learned about the Christmas Parade last week. I talked to the staff, hey, can we do something? They got on it right away and we're gonna be there at the Christmas Parade because we wanna get, we wanna get in front of the community. We wanna be a part of, of seeing the community transformed. We wanna share the cure, but also in that, as we invite, so too you need to invite. Who does Jesus want you to invite? 
to faith environments. The Candlelight Service, the Christmas series, is a great time to invite and to share Jesus with your Oikos. And so if Jesus has saved you, Jesus has sent you. And when Jesus looks at you, he sees not who you are, but who you can become. Levi the tax collector became Matthew the gospel writer. I wonder what Jesus can do with you. I hope this series has encouraged you with Jesus's amazing grace. I hope you've seen that Jesus's grace is multifaceted, that he loves you, that he's willing to minister you and to you in your brokenness, that he wants to transform you and make you into someone you never dreamed of being. And so in conclusion, we thought the best way to close out this series is to sing of Jesus's amazing grace. And so if you believe his grace is amazing, I'm gonna encourage you to lift up your voices this morning and declare with all of us how great our God is. Can we do that together? I'm gonna pray and, and then we'll close out with one song. Father God, I thank you so much for your grace in our lives for loving us to the point of death, even death on the cross, Jesus, that, that you, would, you would die for us so that we might be saved. I thank you for the story of Levi, that you would take somebody like him and turn him into an amazing witness for you. Use his skills for, that he once used to, for tax collecting and ripping others off and turning them into skills for writing the first book of the New Testament. What an amazing story. For us in this room, there are many of us with potential that we've never tapped into and you wanna tap into that today. For many of us in this room, we have potential that we're misusing. We're wasting it on things that don't really matter. And so you wanna redirect, sanctify that potential. I pray God that we would have an openness like Levi to say, okay, Jesus, I'm in, I'll follow you. Whatever you want, wherever you want me to go, take charge of my life, I am in. We need people in this church to be all in for you. I pray that we'd open our lives to you, that we'd finally submit the everything to you and that you would sanctify us. Jesus, we love you. We pray this in your name and all God's people said.